This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. The scripture for this morning is from Acts uh, chapter 22, verses 14 to 22. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. You will be his witnesses to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said. Leave Jerusalem immediately, because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there, giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. So I was joking with someone this morning that uh, I was more uh, wound up about the mystery box this morning than I was about the sermon. I feel like this is a little bit going to be a little bit easier here. Mostly because at least I know what the text is, and I got to pick what it was, so it makes it feel a little bit, uh, a little bit more settled about what what we're talking about. But um, I'm going to ask you guys a question: Have you ever been um, in a place that you didn't expect to be, with people that you wouldn't normally choose to hang out with. Have you guys ever been in a situation like that before? I think all of us have. Um, And as I was thinking about this, what came to mind was kind of an unusual situation that I found myself in. Um, The first time I was ever in my in-law's home was six months after we had been married. Um, when my husband and I, John, met, um, his parents were stationed in Japan. He was going to college in San Antonio, which is where we met. And they had just started their assignment in Japan. So the entire time that we were dating, we I met his parents a total of two times. Once... Uh, my father-in-law came to visit, of course, to check me out. You know, I got the, I got the, the whole interview thing going on. And, and then the next time when his family came back for a visit, I got the same kind of, well, let's just face it, an interrogation. Um, I passed, I think. But anyway, so they, um, they didn't move back to the States until, uh, three months before we were married. We were getting married in San Antonio, and they were being stationed in Montgomery, Alabama. So it just didn't work out. They were moving all their stuff. Everything was was kind of unsettled. Those of you who are military understand what I'm talking about. And so here I am, getting married, 
to this guy. I've met parents a few times, and and then we we um, we get married. John goes to basic training, and I, you know, kind of go on with life, and then um, quickly find out that we're having a baby. So the very first time I am in my in-laws' home, I am very sick. <laughs> quite pregnant and incredibly nervous because I'd never been with these people before. I didn't know them. I didn't know their habits. In fact, this was the first time that I'd actually ever been in someone else's house for Christmas other than my family members. And I remember calling my mom every day, mom. Okay. So they're doing this. What does that mean? They're, they're doing this, mom. What does, what does that mean? Am I okay? What is this? You know, I'm trying to figure out who are these people. And here's the problem with that is that they were my people, like it or not, because I'd married into their family. I was theirs and they were mine. And here we are. And whether I liked it or not, and whether I felt comfortable or not, they, there I was. And here's the other little tidbit. The first three days I was there, my husband wasn't with me. So you guys can just imagine what that was like. Finally, when he gets there, you know, I'm like, I felt like he carried the secret, the family secret decoder ring. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, with families where you're like, okay, they do this. What does this mean? You know, they do that. Your mom does this. Your dad says this. What, what, you know, and now 20 years later, you know, I've settled in, we've settled into life with them. But that was a place where I felt like, what am I doing here? I don't know these people, and I don't really know how to get along or what this looks like, but here I am. As we move into the passage in Acts, the piece that I pulled out, I feel like has to do with that. But what I want to do right now is I want to back up a little bit. And I wanted to kind of give the, um, you know, when you watch uh, TV series and they give in the previous episode, what I want to do is I want to give you guys the in the previous episode, okay? And so what's happening here is that in Acts 21, Paul, in his words, starts a riot, Okay, so all of these people are starting this huge ruckus. There's this big fight that's going on and they have to call what in essence is the Roman police. And as they're, the police, the Romans uh, army is coming to protect him. Paul asks the centurion if he can address the crowd and he turns to address the crowd in Aramaic, which is their language. And he begins to share the testimony of what Jesus has done in his life. And he goes through the testimony of how it is that he was encountered by Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he's sharing it, it, how it is that he saw Jesus, that he was blinded by the light, and how... um, Wow, I just went blank on who the guy was. (laughs) Ananias came to him and prayed for him. 
and the words that he said. And that's where we pick up in this passage. And Ananias comes to him and he says these words. The God of our father has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. You will be a witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So Paul is giving this testimony to these basically on the verge of riot Jews. He's sharing what has happened to him and what it was that Ananias said to him. And then he moves on and, and he says, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. So again, Paul is sharing, okay, this is the second time I see Jesus. And I see him in the temple in Jerusalem as I'm praying. And what Jesus says to him is, quick, leave Jerusalem immediately because you they will not accept your testimony about me. Now, if you remember in last week's passage, Paul has returned to Jerusalem with a mind set to a purpose of following what what he has been asked to do by the Lord. So he's giving a story, he's given a backstory about how I've been here before, I prayed, I saw Jesus, and he told me to leave. Now this is the part that I think is very interesting, and the part I want to focus on this morning. In verse 19, this is Paul's response. He says, Lord, these men know that I went from one synagogue to, to uh, another to imprison and beat those who believe you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. So here it is that Paul is saying, and I think it's kind of funny, because in essence what he's doing is he's pushing back at Jesus. Jesus is telling him to leave. And what Paul is saying is, well, come on, but these people, they're really going to believe me. And this is why they're going to believe me, because they saw me here, because they know me, because I have this great testimony. So you should let me stay here because these are my people and they're going to have seen, they're going to be able to see how I've changed. And Jesus' response to him is, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. This was not what Paul was expecting. In fact, if anything, Paul was really kind of advocating for himself to be able to stay exactly where he was comfortable, where he knew the people, where he knew the customs, where he knew what was expected of him. And Jesus says, nope, You're going to go, and I'm going to send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, this wasn't a new thought. This would not have been a new thought for Paul. Because Paul is a Pharisee. He's an educated man who would have read through the prophetic books, who would have known that part of the promise that Abraham carried was that the nations would be blessed by his seed. 
that the nations would know the one true God. So Paul had that somewhere in the back of his mind. And yet he's going, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. (laughs) These people are better for me to hang out with. I'm going to give you an example of one of the texts that Paul was probably very familiar with. In Isaiah 49, and I have that. This is the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Does this sound familiar to anybody? What does Jesus say as he is commissioning his disciples? As he is going up to heaven, he says, and you will be my disciples to the ends of the earth. So this is something that's already ingrained in what Paul knows, and yet he really prefers to kind of be with the people that he's comfortable with. So as I was reading through this passage, and and uh, one of the things I really enjoy about um, our staff in particular is our ability to kind of sit down and wrestle through passages together. So I went into to Tyler's office earlier this week, and I said, hey, Tyler, this is what I'm thinking. As I was reading through this, what I realized was that Paul or Saul at this point in time, but Paul was a man who had the ability to fit in with the Gentiles in a way that Peter and John and Andrew and the other disciples would not have necessarily fit in. Because if we take a step back and we look at who Paul was, As I said a moment ago, Paul was highly educated. In fact, he talks about that. When he kind of gives his verbal resume about who he is, he talks about his education. I mean, basically, he was kind of one of the top. He would have had a PhD, okay? In our society, that's who he would have been. He was multilingual. It's clear he spoke Aramaic. He spoke Greek. There are some thoughts that he may have even spoke Latin. So he was able to go into any place and speak a language. He had fluency that most of the other, most of the disciples, so Jesus' little group of guys from the backwoods of Judea would not have had. He could go into a place and he could argue. Think about his conversation with the people in Athens. He was able to stand there and dialogue in a way that I can guarantee you Peter would not have. Because he had a fluency and an ability to speak to people that the others didn't have. The last thing, and I want to guess that this was probably the ringer for Paul. For Paul. 
Paul was a Roman citizen. And at that point in time, Roman citizenry allowed you to travel with a tremendous amount of freedom. It allowed you access to places that if you weren't a citizen, you couldn't go. And as we are moving towards the end of Acts, we're going to see that that Roman citizenship actually saved Paul's bacon. (laughs) Can I say that? Because what he was able to do when he was in situations where the crowd was going to overcome him, when the Jews were going to flog him, when they were going to imprison him at the Sanhedrin, what he was able to do was say, um, excuse me, you can't do that to me. I'm a Roman citizen. I want you to think about how it is that your citizenship allows you certain rights. How your citizenship allows you, let's say you travel to a foreign country and you lose your passport. You go to the American consulate. You go to the American embassy. You say, I'm an American citizen. What happens? Do they say, oh, sorry. Figure it out. They take care of you. They make sure that your needs are met. They get you a new passport. Maybe they help you with money. But your citizenship gets you both access and provides protection. I think that this is something that we often miss about our lives as Christians. Where Paul wanted to be able to say, hey, can I please just stick with the people that I know? Jesus was very clear and he said, no, I want you to go to these people. And a lot of times when we think about that, we think, oh, God's going to send me to these people that I don't really know. He's going to send me far away. He's going to separate me from my family. I'm going to end up living in a hut somewhere where it's 125 degrees and there's bugs and mud everywhere. But what happens here, what we see with Paul, is that God takes the fluency that God, that Paul had developed over years of education and he says, I want you to take what you know and I want you to use it. I want you to take the natural bridges that you, Paul, because you speak Greek, because you speak Aramaic, because you are well-learned, because you can reason. I want you to take those things and I want you to take them to these people so that they can know who you are, who I am. Jesus... gave a very clear definition of who it is that he expects us to be as his people. Can I have the next? And I realize this is the second week that I've used a Sermon on the Mount reference, but 
I'm a fan, so I'm not going to apologize for that. But in this, again, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 13, this is where Jesus is talking about who we're supposed to be. And he's speaking specifically to his disciples. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Paul had things that had been developed in his life that allowed him to speak specifically to a group of people that would allow him to be heard in a way that nobody else would. That was part of the light that he was carrying. And so for each one of us, the question is, where do you have fluency? Where in your life can you speak to people where I can't? Or maybe somebody else sitting next to you can't. As I was praying about this, as I was praying for the congregation in this, in this particular sermon, I kept saying, Lord, I want to be an encouragement. I want people to be able to hear that where it is and how it is that God has given you fluency. He's given you a way, an understanding of language, an understanding of a way of life that is going to allow you to speak to people that I couldn't speak to. I'm looking around and I'm kind of, I could point people out right now and I could say, I know Carolyn Lundberg. There is no way that I could sit down with a group of accountants and speak language and be salt and light to them the same way that you could. Because you have fluency in an area where people will listen to you. Heidi Porter, David Ham, Brent George, Linda Reynolds. All of us have things that we bring to the table, ways in which God has placed us in the world. And he's given us skills, and he's given us minds, and he's given us language to speak that allows us to build a bridge that that gives us the ability to walk across to say something to someone, to be heard by other people, and it allows us to invite them into the kingdom of God. But a lot of times what we do is that we think, well, that's for the professionals. My job is just to bring them to church, and then the pastors will take care of it, right? I have the quote from Dallas Willard. And I love this and because I feel like this gives such a perfect view of how it is that we often see ourselves. And I'll include myself in this. These little people, all right? And this is, he's quote, he's speaking about this after the, or about the salt and light um, passage. He says, these little people without any of the character or qualifications humans insist are necessary are the only ones who can make the world work. And God gives them a certain radiance 
as one lights a lamp to share it, its brilliance over everyone in the house. A lot of times, because you're sitting out there and one of us is standing up here, you feel like the little people, you are not the little people. You are the ones who make the world work. The reach of your arms, the reach of your bridge, the reach of your language and your fluency is far greater than what me or Tyler or Mike or Todd or Stacy or anyone else on this staff could do. People are going to listen to you more than they're going to listen to me. And the young people in this room, especially you, half the time I don't even understand the texts my kids are sending me. But you speak that language. You understand what's being said And part of what God is calling you to do is to speak back, to listen, to use the language that you know and understand to be able to communicate that. And don't hide it. Jesus commissioned his disciples at the end of Matthew. And we use that a lot. We call it the Great Commission, right? But this morning I want to end with with Jesus' words to his disciples as he was leaving. It's recorded in the book of John. And I think this is important to hear because oftentimes when we think about what does it look like for me to use my fluency what does it look like for me to be salt and light in the place where I'm living in the place where I'm working in the people that I'm surrounded by a lot of times there's an anxiety level that rises up with that right am I the only one I work in the church okay and I still feel that but Jesus says He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As you go to those places, as you are working in those places, as you are living in those places, you have the peace of God. That is your anchor. That is your touchstone. His promise was, my peace be with you. His peace is with you, just as it was with Paul, in all of the places that he went in all of the ways that he spoke and was pushed against. He was able to lean into the peace. This morning, I'm going to ask you to spend just a couple of minutes. Maybe it's during the response time. 
Maybe it's this afternoon when you get home. To spend some time really asking, Lord, where is it that you've sent me? And what kind of fluency do I bring to that place that I can be a presence of peace, of salt and light? Pray with me. Jesus, it was in and through you that we have your Holy Spirit. And Father, when we confess our faith in you, you give us that spirit. And that spirit gives us what we need to be salt and light. Father, I pray that each one of us would be able to embrace our sentness where it is that we are right now. And that we would be able to lean in to you in the midst of that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.